All right, guys, back again for another Break Hard Podcast. Week six of the NASCAR season, week two of the Formula One season. NASCAR had all three series down in Austin, Texas at Circuit of the Americas this weekend. Formula One was out dodging missile strikes in Jeddah, Saudi Arabia. Second time at that track in like 112 days. Uh, Really tight turnaround for them. I don't understand why the Saudi royal family wouldn't want to be part of the championship battle versus being a part of the very beginning of the season, the second race of the season. I'd much rather be at the end of the year. But regardless, solid weekend of racing overall. Uh, We'll probably dive into the Formula One fiasco. You know, right here at the beginning, the the, the foreign affairs fiasco that is now Formula One. Uh, and then we'll get into NASCAR. Three NASCAR races, a doubleheader on Saturday. Ross Chastain picks up his first career Cup Series win on Sunday. First win for Trackhouse. And uh, I'll dive into a little bit of Coda and NASCAR as a whole and sort of about that. But first, we're going to get into Formula One at the Jetta Cornice Circuit in Saudi Arabia. Sorry, I was pausing there because I had all this set up to do NASCAR first, but Racing Reference is taking forever to update. So now I got to go in, pull up the Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, the STC Saudi Arabian Grand Prix, that is. Uh, and we'll talk about that real quick. So 50 laps around the Jetta street circuit. I'm not actually convinced that it's a street circuit because I don't think that those are actual streets. I think it's just a racetrack in a city and they just call it a street circuit, but I'm not I'm not under the impression that people actually get to drive on this track because uh, there's a lot of infrastructure there for a street circuit that isn't typical of most street circuits. So Max Verstappen picks up his first win of the year, starts fourth, wins the race. We'll get into that in a second. Charles Leclerc finishes second. Carlos signs third. Sergio Perez, who started on pole, got screwed over by the virtual safety car and has to you know, settle for fourth because Carlos beat him out to the safety car line out of the pits. Uh, And Red Bull rightfully gave that position to Carlos on the restart. And then Sergio just couldn't do anything uh, after that, which is a bummer for him. George Russell finishes uh, fifth. Esteban Ocon comes home in sixth. Lando Norris seventh. A huge rebound for Lando and that McLaren team after last week. Uh, Lando did say after the race that they're just still very bad in the slow corners. Pierre Gasly eighth. Kevin Magnussen scores points again for Haas P9 for him. Uh, and Lewis Hamilton goes from 15th to 10th to score one point. He didn't know that 10th place scored points when Bono told him that, um, or yes, when they told him that he scored or that he finished in 10th, Lewis responded with, uh, do you even get points for 10th place? So very much a, um, (laughs) a very wealthy thing to say for, for Lewis. It's like when they asked Bill Gates, how much he thinks like a gallon of milk is and he's like i don't know 15 dollars. it's like what the fuck dude what are you talking about um lewis just not knowing that you score points outside the top three is hilarious uh, to me because he hasn't had to be back here in a really long time so yeah lewis gets one point nico hulkenberg uh give him credit out drove lance stroll which isn't the most difficult thing in the world he finishes 12th uh out of the points but Still really good for him. Uh, Hopefully Sebastian's back in Australia because I think Aston Martin could really use him since he has at least developed the car a little bit. And then you have a number of retirements. There were only 13 cars running at the end of the race and Lance Stroll was the 13th car one lap down. Alex Albon went out of the race with a um, 
well, I guess technically a flat right front, but also like completely destroyed. The wheel kind of came off, and then he bodied Lance Stroll, and that was a whole fiasco. He has a three-spot grid penalty for Australia. Valtteri Botas. So the weird thing is, is Botas, Fernando, Alonso, and Daniel Ricciardo all retired on the same lap. Um, Botas, they managed to get him into the pit lane, and he had to drive past the start-finish line, so technically he retired the next lap, but on the same lap, they all retired which is very strange uh, for them. Ricardo's was a clutch. And then Fernando and Valtteri, they have not said yet. I would assume something to do with the power unit. Fernando lost drive. I do know that. So it just says DNF here, but I know that he lost drive. Nicholas Latifi has made it a, I guess, life mission of his to affect the outcome of races. Once again, Nicholas Latifi at the center of, I'm not going to call it controversy, but there would not have been a virtual safety car uh, leading into a safety car. If it wasn't for Nicholas Latifi just bending it in the final corner, um, which he just overcorrected and just drove into the wall. Like, I think Nicholas Latifi is actually a, a talented race car driver. He's not a Formula One caliber driver, but he makes mistakes sometimes, and you're like, what? what's happening here? So, yeah, Nikita Mazepin's out of the series. Nicholas Latifi saw an opportunity. Uh, he solid need and he's filling that need right now as the worst driver on the grid so that's not great for him hopefully he gets it figured out and stops affecting the end of races because of this virtual safety car here that allowed um that allowed the field to bunch up charles was able to pit and get out and to the lead uh fuck sergio so he went from first to fourth uh because of that charles takes the lead max is able to jump him signs comes out in third so you have all of that and then at the very end you have a virtual safety car because fernando is limping around the track ricardo stopped outside the pit lane all hell's breaking loose right there so you have that happen and under the vsc max went from about 1.6 seconds back to when the vsc ended being about one second behind charles which i hate vsc for this reason alone is Drivers have to drop to 40% of pace, which it's not a, I shouldn't, it's not, it's not open for interpretation, but at the same time, there's time to be gained there. And Max is really good at gaining time in VSC multiple times. He's done it and no one ever really seems to call him on it. And it's not a Max only problem. It happens across the board with a lot of guys. The thing about VSC is, some guys slow down a ton. So, like, at one point, Max slowed down, and he was about four seconds behind Charles. And then he speeds up, and then he'll be flirting between, like, you know, one second, 1.2 seconds off. And it's like, well, technically, you were 1.6 seconds when VSC came out. So then, on the restart, he's one second behind Charles, and now he can just, if he can hang within one second for two laps, then he gets DRS. And that's exactly what happened. Max, before the VSC came out for that situation, did not have a shot, really, to get into DRS. He was 1.6 seconds back. He needed to gain six tenths on Charles, and it didn't look like that was going to happen. He wasn't within striking distance. VSC comes out, and all of a sudden, Max is within striking distance now, and he was able to get the lead. The two played ultimate, you know, DRS games with each other down the backstretch into the final corner. Neither one wanted... So... Max didn't want to pass Charles. Charles wanted Max to pass him so he would be able to get DRS down the front stretch. And then eventually, Charles, they both locked up trying to, you know, 
play chicken with each other. Charles gunned it. He able to gain a gap. But then Max and Red Bull, to their credit, they trimmed the cars out. They had a lot of straight line speed. They had a ton of straight line speed like we saw uh, in Bahrain. They're lacking in the corners, which is where Ferrari was making up their time at. But ultimately, like, it's a lot easier to pass in a braking zone in a DRS zone as well than it is to try to pass somebody through a slow twisty corner where the Ferraris were faster. So that's what it came down to. Max was able to get around him there. Uh, Max, I mean, Charles and Max, they're 1A and 1B right now. They're both on top of their game. They both have cars that are capable of winning. So it's hard to, you know, say that Max didn't deserve to win this race. But I think without VSC, I still think Charles wins this race um, again. So he started the season with two wins. So, yeah, I'm not... I don't know. It's, it's tough because... I still think that, like I said, I still think that Charles and Ferrari probably should have won this race. Ferrari, two races in a row where they haven't, you know, bungled it. They haven't fumbled the ball. Uh, They've actually been doing things right. And this time it's like, yeah, you did everything right. But Max definitely gained a little bit of time. And like the broadcast doesn't talk about it. And it's kind of an unwritten rule that a lot of people gain time under it. But when it comes down to affecting the outcome of the race, it's like, oh, it's a little bit harder to... I don't even say swallow, but just, like, be all right with, in a sense. So, yeah. Max wins. Charles finished second. Carlos third, like I said. Uh, Charles still leads the points. He has a 12-point lead over Carlos. uh, 20-point lead over Max. 23 over George. And 29 over Hamilton. Heading to Australia in two weeks for the first time since 2019. Obviously, they tried to run the Australian Grand Prix in 2020 abandoned it before cars ever got on track because of COVID-19. I still, I was scrolling through my pictures today on my phone looking for a specific picture of something else um, and came across a screenshot that I had or an image I had saved from Australia 2020 where the uh, the Formula One brass and the organizers in Australia, Chase Carey and, and everybody, were saying that every, you know, they're canceling the Grand Prix out of an abundance of caution. And they're standing, you know, 15 feet from the media bullpen, which is just packed in like sardines, distancing themselves from the mass of people. But everything's fine. They're just doing this out of abundance of caution. I always found that hilarious because they really fucked up the handling of that one. A lot like they fucked up the handling of the race this weekend. Weirdly enough. Um, Yeah. So on Friday, free practice one, the Aramco, or not Aramco, Aramco, refinery facility uh, a little bit east of the track out by the airport was hit by a missile strike by the Houthi rebels uh, from Yemen and there was a massive black plume of smoke uh, to the point where Max said I can smell something burning I don't know if it's my car or someone else's car and well Max it wasn't your car or somebody else's car it was the refinery facility that just got hit by a fucking missile uh, 12 miles from the track. So, not great. Optically, not great. And I, I don't even think it was great in any way you look at it if you're a formula, a member of a Formula 1 team or there for the race. Uh, so, yeah, that prompted a briefing with drivers and teams before free practice 2. It kind of seemed like FP2 might not happen. It was delayed by, what, 15 minutes? And then everybody got on track. After that, 
practice drivers went and had a drivers only meeting for the better tune of almost four hours they sat in there and talked and it from the sounds of it from people that have spoken about that meeting all the drivers wanted to cancel the race they wanted to cancel and get the hell out and i don't blame them uh being 12 miles from a missile strike never i personally have never been 12 miles from a missile strike i can tell you though probably wouldn't be psyched on it uh not when you're part of an international event that's the highlight of this country's sports season. Uh, that's literally a party for the royal family. So, yeah. Can't say I would be comfortable with it. Uh, the team bosses all drank the, the Kool-Aid, uh, all Jim Jones style from Formula One and the FIA, and said that everything's fine. Uh, they've been assured the security of the track and everything like that, which is like, yeah, of course, the royal family will always say that because they want this to happen. It's a big party for themselves. So, yeah, I, I can't say that I would personally be comfortable, and it sounds like the drivers weren't comfortable either. Helmut Marco seemed to think that Sergio is a little bit more comfortable with it because he grew up in Mexico City. Because, you know, Mexico City is constantly being bombed out by the cartel. Like, what? That made no sense uh, whatsoever. Mildly racist in a sense, too, because he's like, you know, Max is relaxed. He's fine. Uh, Carlos, he's grown up with it, so he's, he's okay. And it's like, what? What are you talking about, dude? Uh, but that's just Helmet Marco, that ghoulish old man, just saying more dumb shit out of his asshole. Uh, yeah, so, ultimately the race went on after four hours of deliberations with the, the, the drivers. It appeared that Andreas Seidel from McLaren, he became the sort of representative for the for the team principals and he was going down and talking to the drivers and then george was obviously the representative from the grand prix drivers association since uh max or not max since sebastian wasn't there uh this weekend but i mean this is good for the sport it's good when all the drivers get together and sort of hold the feet to the fire of the you know the fia's feet to the fire formula one fom whoever you want to we'll just all call them one because uh, they all wanted that race to happen but a lot of this, this, once again, falls back on Formula One management because nobody wants to cancel a race. Because as soon as you cancel a race, you become liable for breaking that contract and ticket sales. It's the same reason why they why they ran Spa instead of canceling it last year. They ran two laps under safety car and they're like, hey, race is official. Nobody wanted to cancel the race because that's just going to re result in a lawsuit. Same reason why nobody wanted to cancel Australia until the organizers of the NFOM finally came to an agreement. And this is the exact same thing right here. But there's a little bit more at play in terms of financial situation here. Formula One looks at the Middle East as a honeypot. That is an endless supply of dollars that they can always reach into in a sense. I mean, McLaren is almost fully backed by oil money, Middle Eastern oil money. There's a number of teams on the grid that have some sort of investment or deal with oil companies or, you know, companies in that region. And Formula One is no different. Aramco is a massive Formula One sponsor. You will see their signage at nearly every race. The Saudi royal family will pay whatever the sanctioning fee is for Formula One to come there every single year. Does not matter. The check will always clear. They'll always write it. There's no amount of money that is too much for them to not want this race. So I think Formula One FOM as a whole looked at this, team bosses too, and they're saying, do we want to piss off one of the biggest players in the region, in the Middle Eastern region, 
and turn our backs on one of them. And if we do that, does that mean we're turning our backs on all of them? And how will everyone else respond? It's a Formula One is, is, is politics. It very much is. And you have to weigh every single decision that you do. The pros and cons of every single decision that you make. And that's what happened here. I, I, money wins 10 out of 10 times. Everyone's greedy. Everybody wants money. Nobody wants to ever turn off that faucet. And that's what happened again. So, yeah. What, were the teams safe? I honestly think so. Uh, you're If you're a terrorist organization like this, you're not going to strike an international event to make a statement because there's way too many nationalities at play there. And you just, instead of just pissing off the Saudi Arabian, you know, royal family, you've now pissed off, you know, 20 or 30 different countries. And that's not a good look. So... It's not the best way to get your your uh, message across. And I think they understood that because they called a ceasefire for three days uh, Saturday morning. Which is conveniently enough time for everybody to sort of pack up and get the fuck out. Uh, and head off to Australia. So, yeah. It was a very interesting weekend. Uh, I feel bad for the drivers because I think they were held to the fire a little bit. And there's not really much they can do. People are like, oh, they should just you know pull on the grid and stop. Okay, like I get the whole protest thing, but like their their whole thought process was they wanted to get out of there on Friday. They wanted to go home. They wanted to get away from the possible missile strike. If you're there on Sunday, there's no sense in stopping the cars. Might as well race. Um, so that's what happened with that. And then you throw in Mick's crash, which was a massive, massive crash, 33 Gs. Um, how there's a concrete wall on corner exit right there, I'll just never understand. It needs to be tire barriers or a safer wall. Safer barrier right there. Uh, so thankfully, he was able to get out and uh, join the driver's parade today. Sounds like he's fine. He'll be ready for Australia. Said he could have gone today if they had a car available, but Haas decided to withdraw his car and get ready for Australia. So yeah, pretty eventful weekend, uh, all things considered for Formula One, which is already eventful. Uh, the new cars are definitely delivering right now, too. The top four uh, between Max or between Ferrari and Red Bull fantastic i will say max and charles are just in a league of their own right now that race i think restarted with what nine eight laps to go somewhere in there and they managed to gap carla signs by eight seconds i mean these two are just absolutely in a league of their own uh, at the moment so good for them hopefully it continues uh, throughout the season excited for australia haven't like i said haven't been there since 2019 um Sold out crowd from the sounds of it. It's going to be a a ruckus time. And then uh, from there, they head to Emola, which I believe Lewis and Mercedes said that would be their first big upgrade of the season. Um, so they desperately need that if they can get it done. And then after that, we're heading to Miami to race in a parking lot around a suburban football stadium with a fake yacht club in a landlock on a landlocked stadium that's not by the ocean so that's gonna be fun and interesting and really dumb but talk about that when we get there for now off for two weeks all right talk a little nascar real quick um cup series race we'll start there because ross chastain uh like i said at the top of this picks up his first career nascar cup series victory 
Uh, he led 31 of, what, 69 laps today. Good. I mean, great for Ross. He's been banging on the door back-to-back. I believe he's had back-to-back top two, top three finishes. I got to check this out. Yeah. Nah, fuck. Three in a row. He had a third at Las Vegas, second at Phoenix, second at Atlanta. And then he gets the it gets his first win uh, of his career, of the season, first win for Trackhouse uh, today in Austin. Didn't really think Ross would be getting his first win on a road course, uh, but he drove phenomenally yes, er, in uh, the Xfinity race on Saturday for Mario Goslin's team in that 92 car. So he was in contention to win there as well. He comes back, wins today. Not without a little controversy, though. He straight up Pat McAfee punted uh, A.J. Allmendinger into the gravel on the last lap. After Allmendinger did move him out of the way, I don't have a I don't have a major issue with it, other than the fact that I would much rather have seen Ross just give him a bump and run, let AJ finish second, uh, rather than put him off into the gravel and he ends up finishing thirty third when he should have either won the race or finished second. I think that's a little unfair and short sighted on his part because AJ's running all the road courses. AJ's running a number of other races too. And he's got that in the back of his mind now. Ross is locked into the playoffs. So if he's in contention to win another race, which would just help him gain playoff points, there's nothing to say AJ won't just dump him because uh, he's already in the playoffs. We know that. There's not going to be more than 16 winners. Uh, never is. So we're pretty safe to say that, not pretty safe, we're safe to say that Ross Chastain is going to be in the playoffs this year. Uh, but, you know, he may just only enter with five playoff points. Instead of 10, you know, because if he's in contention and AJ's there in second, there's a hot chance AJ's just going to pick him up and dump him. So, yeah, uh, good for Ross. Great for those guys. They've been banging on the door uh, this to start the season here. Trackhouse obviously bought all the old Ganassi equipment, which really doesn't really matter at this point because the it's the Gen 7 car. So they kind of just bought what was left the assets at cgr um and the the car and the charter and all the other stuff so charters i should say is really what they purchased uh but yeah it's nice to see them kind of step up here uh i don't know if ganassi would have made that would have the same performance if they're still here that track house is having right now but great for ross i really thought alex bowman was going to win the race when ross and aj were going at it until like i said uh, ross just punted uh aj who hit the 48 and uh bowman was able to hold it together and finish second really thought bowman was going to back into another win quote back into another win uh there's something to be said about that 48 car they put themselves in position to win they don't have the best car all the time uh they don't always have the fastest car but when it comes down to collecting trophies they find their way to be in contention jimmy did it and now it's rubbed off with alex bowman so uh interesting that that sort of has carried over christopher bell finishes third uh, should have finished second last week. So uh, it's good to see them rebound. Chase Elliott, the road course master, finishes fourth. A little bit about this real quick. I thought Chase Elliott... I Okay, so Chase Elliott is a talented road course driver, without a doubt. I'm not going to you know deny that. He's definitely gifted when it comes to road racing. The Hendrick Gen 6 road course program, though, was far and away the best road course program out there and 
you put a car that's that good in the hands of a driver that's as talented as Chase Elliott when it comes to road courses, and he's going to look like Superman, you know, nine out of ten times. And he fucking did because he dominated road courses. Flashback to last year, he wins two races on road courses. Kyle Larson wins three races on road courses. Kyle Larson, in in the past with CGR, was good at road courses for a lap. He sat on the pole at Sonoma twice. Um, he was quick for a little bit. Never could really put a whole race together. He gets in a Hendrick road course car, and that dude is just now unbeatable as well. So there's a lot to be said about how good that Hendrick Gen 6 road course program was. Not to say that their new program is not good right now, but I think Chase Elliott, we saw Chase Elliott's talent level today. And a lot of it is, again, we haven't done a ton of road course racing with this car. Obviously, this is the first one. There were a two-day test at the Charlotte Roval. Again, not a ton of time. So it's really the first time that Alan and Chase and everybody really got a chance to set up these cars. So if they're still struggling... You know, by the time we get to Road America in July, on the July 4th weekend, then maybe it'll be like, oh, okay, like they, we'll give them Sonoma, see if they can do anything there. Um, and then Road America, he won last year. If he's not able to get it done there, that's when we'll be like, ah, oh, okay. Um, then there might be a little bit of a cause of concern. But he did manage to finish fourth today. And, buddy, I tweeted out, I was like, oh, Basically, what I just t- talked about is what I tweeted. And uh, that son of a bitch just started working his way through the field. And I was like, he's going to make me look like an asshole, isn't he? Um, but thankfully, he only finished fourth. Tyler Reddick, fifth. Thought that he might have a chance to get it done today. Uh, did not. Ryan Blaney, sixth. Martrex Jr., seventh. Austin Sendrick, eighth. Um, great rebound for him after getting punted by Joey Hand, who has absolutely no business being in a Cup Series race ever again. Uh, for the second consecutive race that he's been in on a road course, he's punted a guy that's in championship condition, uh, contention and a full-time driver. So uh, I don't have time for Joey Hand in these races. Eric Jones finishes ninth. Sure, because at one point his car was dead on track. So shout out to Eric Jones for getting a top 10 while his teammate... Where is his teammate at? 20th. Um, once again, Ty Dillon underperforms while his teammate overperforms. Austin Dillon finished 10th. Kevin Harvick 11th. William Byron 12th. Uh, Michael McDowell in 13th. Brad Kozlowski 14th. And Justin Haley top 15. Good for him. Uh, Harrison Burton actually finished on the lead lap this week, so that's great. Uh, Eric Almarola spun out. There was a point where I think two SHR cars spun on the same lap, and Tony said, yeah, we're trying to spin every car out this lap, which was objectively a funny comment to make. Yeah, Daniel Suarez finishes 24th. That's just a bad day overall. Definitely should have been higher than that. Kyle Busch finishes 28th. I think Suarez, Suarez finished 24th. I don't know if it's the 20th or 24th. 24th. Kyle Busch finishes 28th. He was running top five, got punted. Uh, Kyle Larson, Joey Logano, and Kurt Busch were all involved in an incident there. The second to last restart, which honestly I still don't think should have been a caution. People are like, oh, there are people in the barriers. There has to be a caution for that. They all fucking drove away. It's a the lap here is what, like almost two minutes? You can easily drive away and let NASCAR decide. But NASCAR is just so gung-ho on these cautions because it sets up restarts and then you get a finish like what we had and they're all sitting in there with like that South Park meme where there's just jizz everywhere all over themselves. That's the, that, Those are the suits in Charlotte and Daytona today after they saw that finish. Um, 
one thing about NASCAR restarts is like they NASCAR loves to throw a caution to have a restart here in the final closing laps because it sets up an exciting finish in their minds. But at the same time, like throwing a caution here, do they think people are sitting through a 12 minute caution to watch essentially like two minutes of racing? I, I don't know who's doing the case studies for this, but they got to figure it out because it's not, it's not good. Um, well, I shouldn't say that. I know who's doing the case studies. The same people that put out the stupid fan council. So not great overall uh, for that. But uh, Bubba Wallace, he lost a, a tire. Um, I believe it was the right rear. Left rear? Left rear. Left rear. Yes, left rear. Um, so Booty Barker is going to be getting a nice four-week vacation. Which, honestly, like, I don't think is maybe the worst part. Uh, I like Booty. I think he's a great character. I think he's a good guy. We met him at the ARCA race a couple times when he was working for JGR. Um, All-around nice guy. But I want to see Bubba work with somebody you know a little bit different and see what can happen there. So we'll see how uh, all that goes. But the Cup Series is off to Richmond next week. I have very low hopes for Richmond after watching Phoenix. Um, but hey, who knows? The next-gen car surprises at Fontana and Las Vegas. Maybe they'll surprise us um, at Richmond as well. Uh, we can hold out hope, right? But yeah, they're off to Richmond next Sunday. Probably like a fucking 317 start, if I was going to guess, um, next week. All right. Moving on to the Xfinity race real quick. The Pit Boss 250 from Coda. AJ Allmendinger picks up his first win of the season. Almost went back-to-back uh, Saturday and Sunday win, which has been great for him. Austin Hill finishes second. Cole Custer third. No Gregson fourth. Sam Mayer fifth. Myatt Snyder finishes sixth. Brett Moffitt seventh. Jade Buford eighth. Miguel Paluto. Um... He fucked around and found his way into the top 10. Uh, Surprised he had tires on it the amount of times he locked up. And Sheldon Creed rounds out your top 10. Parker Clearman, 12th uh, for Emerlin Gase Motorsports. Joey Gase pulled himself from the car, put a guy with actual talent in, and runs 12th. Ran top 10 most of the day. So um, good for him. Ty Gibbs had a flat tire, so he came home 15th, which is just a damn shame. Um... Yeah, overall, like, not the most eventful race, which is fine. Totally fine to not have a very eventful race. Solid racing all around. Um, No cautions for incident, really. There's cautions for debris and fluid. But overall, solid race. Again, I'm just, like, not sold on Coda being a great racetrack for stock cars is really what it comes down to. Uh, They say there's there are four cautions for eight laps. That's fucking bullshit because... Yeah, the end of stage one was only one caution lap. That's absolutely not true. Oh, man. NASCAR's fucking with me. Yeah, that... See, this is what I hate about racing reference. Um, whatever. <laughs> Jesse Awuji failed to qualify because he's Jesse Awuji, and he doesn't have speed. He fancies himself as a road course driver, though, which is laugh-out-loud funny to me. Um... Yeah, overall, it was an okay race. Josh Berry hit everything under the sun out there on Saturday. I don't know what that guy was doing. Uh, But, yeah, fine race. I don't really have anything to say about it, as you can tell. I I watched it, and I still just 
don't have anything anything that was really like stood out or really even needed to be talked about it it's fine it was just a it was a fucking nascar race on a road course for the xfinity series is what it is um they're racing on saturday at richmond as well and the truck series the xpel 225 uh somehow came in longer than the xfinity race and that's because the end of this race was a shit show uh you had so the end of the race here let me just the last 15 laps you had one caution for Haley deegan stopped two laps later you had a caution for matt de benedetto stopped apparently uh the lord and savior jesus christ could not wheel that truck around the track you know for him to make it back to the pits five laps after that you had a caution for the 46 truck and then one lap after that, you had a caution for the two trucks stuck in the gravel um, in turn two, turn six, that is. And then that set up a green-white checker, which then allowed Alex Bowman to get a run on Stuart Friesen into, I believe that would be considered turn 10, the hairpin that sends you out on the backstretch. Friesen decided to really block the seven of Bowman for kind of no reason. Uh, Bowman was definitely faster. Bowman has nowhere to go. Bodies Friesen, who then hits the 51 of Kyle Busch. So Kyle Busch goes from the lead to finishing uh, third. Zane Smith is able to sneak by Ron Bouchard to their asses. Uh, sneaks by, gets the lead, wins the race. His second win of the year uh, for him. John Hunter Nemechek finishes second after an absolutely abysmal race to start the season. Or, or races to start the season. Kyle Busch finishes third. Ben Rhodes fourth. Chandler Smith and his entitled ass comes home fifth. Uh, I'm not sure if he complained about anything this week, but Tyler Ankrum finishes... Or no, Christian Eckes finished sixth. Tyler Ankrum seventh. It was Tyler Ankrum day in Austin, Texas, which we're kind of handing out days for anybody uh, now. Carson Hosefar finished eighth. Stuart Friesen ninth. And Grant Infinger tenth. Wallace Allen misses out on the top ten by one spot. Uh, Derek Krause didn't hit everything under the sun, so that was great for him. He was managed to get home. Chase Purdy, I think he spun out more times than I have fingers. Still managed to finish 16th. Chris Wright, who's supposed to be a road course guy or something, he finishes 15th. Still not really sure why, why he's out there. Matt Crafton, tough guy on the radio, finally actually did something and punted Chase. I believe it was Chase Purdy that he punted. Um, I actually can't remember who he hit because there was a ton of trucks that were just kind of spinning all over the place. Um, yeah. Sorry, I'm looking at the rundown real quick. Tanner Gray finishes 15th. Um, Parker Clearman, 19th. That's not indicative of where they were running. I believe he got turned there at the end. Brad Perez, first truck series start. He's a tire guy, um, usually on Saturday and Sundays. Um, spotter on Sunday, I should say. Usually a tire guy on Saturdays. Uh, he comes home with the top 20 finish in his first career Xfinity start. Great for him. Will Rogers, 21st. But yeah, I think it's kind of funny that some of these guys that consider themselves the road course guys in this series... The Chris Wrights, the Parker Chases. Where did Parker Chase finish? Or was he in the Xfinity race? Yeah, I think he was in the Xfinity race. Now I'm getting all my names mixed up. This is just bad overall. I apologize to everybody. Austin Wayne Self, he wrecked. I don't know how many times Austin Wayne Self wrecked. 
the back of his truck says, don't mess with Texas. Buddy, let me tell you, everybody's messing with Texas on Saturday. They were just picking Texas up and smashing them into the ground, pushing them off the track, shoving them off into the gravel, sending them for a spin. Texas has never been in a spin cycle that bad. Logan Bearden, whoever that is, he finishes 28th. Um, Ty Majeski, not a road course guy, admittedly, uh, finishes 30th. And then uh, Jack Wood, who has no business being on the racetrack, he finishes 24th. Um, I do believe he and Chris Wright tried to wreck each other on the straightaway, which is pretty impressive. Haley Deegan, once again, finishes 34th, but I'm sure it's not her fault. And Sheldon Creed came home last because the drivetrain broke and he qualified on pole, which is a massive bummer for him. So, truck race entertaining the end took entirely too long it was a two two and a half hour race for the truck series not great not great to run 46 laps in two and a half hours uh the cup series managed to do 69 in about three and a half hours so i yeah shit i say that and who knows the pace was was there so overall it was fine i still think coda is better suited for for indycar and for formula one than it is NASCAR. It's just not a stock car track. I would much rather watch stock cars race at, you know, VIR, Road Atlanta. Um, I, I want to say Barber, but I know Barber is way too narrow. It would just be crap. I say that, but like Middle High is super narrow too. So yeah, it would just be a lot of bumping and banging. But there's a, certainly a lot of other tracks out there that I would love to see NASCAR at versus um, Coda. And it's not because I think Coda is like this you know, sacred ground that only Formula One or IndyCar should race at. I just don't think it puts on that great of a show. Um, I thought the race was fine. NASCAR desperately needs to get rid of stages on road courses. That's abundantly clear. They'll absolutely not listen to us, though, because it was a fun finish, an entertaining finish for them. Uh, So that means that everything's fine and it's lollipops and rainbows over in Charlotte and Daytona. But... I thought that the next-gen car raced fine. Uh, a lot of people think that or thought that because it had independent rear suspension and a couple other things that it was going to race a lot like tighter on on a road course. But independent rear suspension is only good to up to a certain point, up to you know the amount of travel that it has. And these cars were super rigid still. They looked a lot like GT3 cars, just maybe a little less, a little bit poorer handling on them. So, yeah, I think it passed the first test there. Super durable. Uh, in terms of like being able to hit the wall and drive away the suspension on these cars still is very weak um so we'll see how that one thing that is going to be interesting is sonoma's running the short course again this year with the shoot instead of the carousel and drivers absolutely absolutely attack i'm gonna count it off as how it should be counted i don't count 3a and 3b or 4a and 4b however the hell nascar wants to count it but one two three four turn five um nascar sends it over that curb there and cars get way up on their wheels slam down on the ground it'll be very interesting to see if they can take that curb as much as they have in the past and if that suspension holds up because i'm not convinced that it will um and they jump the curbs through the s's in there a lot too a lot of times they're they're traveling two wheels off the ground uh something that they didn't do at coda so excited to get to sonoma and see how all that plays out uh with these guys uh road atlanta or not road atlanta, road america not gonna have that issue 
Um, the Indy Road Course, I think that they're making changes to that where you're not going to have guys flying over the curbs again. They also did do a stock car test on the Formula One layout without running the, um, the final corner. Like what is oval turn one, that little complex that's in there, the infield of turn one. They ran it straight out oval turn one all the way down the front stretch into uh, that braking zone into turn one on the road course. So yeah, if they run that old Formula One style course, that'll be pretty interesting. They tested it, so who knows what that's actually all about. But um, yeah, just excited to see how this whole car holds up um, beating and banging around on the on the road course uh, going forward. So we have Formula, or not Formula One, we have NASCAR at Richmond next weekend. Xfinity on Saturday, Cup on Sunday. Uh, let me double check my schedule here. April Fool's Day is on Friday. Don't be fooled. Xfinity has a 1.30 start on Saturday. And that's interesting. And Cup has a 3.30. Fuck. Fuck. That means it's going to be like a 3.47 green flag on Sunday. I'm so tired of these 3 o'clock starts. But IndyCar's off as well. I believe they are back the next weekend on the 10th yes at long beach uh which is also the night morning of the australian grand prix one o'clock we're going back to the far east again boys and girls that means we got to get up early in the morning or stay up super late uh i think one o'clock is going to be a stay up race Uh, but also i'm kind of old i fell asleep on the couch the other day just watching a movie at my girlfriend's at like 9 30 at night like i'm just washed up at this point but follow us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Break Hard Blog, TikTok. Popping off on TikTok. I'm popular as shit at Break Hard on TikTok. Um, Instagram is just all Instagram reels. I try to do like a 60 second video every day about a topic, something racing or automotive related. Uh, try to knock that out in the morning before I start working. Shout out to the window in my office for providing A-plus lighting. My eyes have never looked bluer. Um, So if you'd like to see that, come check that out. I'm getting a shipment of Merchant for myself this week so I can see what that looks like. Not that anybody would ever want to buy it, but it's going to look great on video. And I designed it, so like it's going to be fantastic. Uh, Check out the blog, breakhardblog.com. Like and subscribe to the podcast. Throw us a like on on the socials as well. Stay in touch. Let me know what you think. And uh, yeah, we'll be back to talk about Richmond next week. Hopefully it's good. If it's not, it's going to be a short podcast.